Hey, Mike. Hi, Caleb. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. Uh, how about yourself? I, I am doing, uh, I don't know if I can say quite well. Pretty well. Quite well. Yeah, we'll go with quite well. Haven't you been imbibing German beer and food recently? Uh, that was last weekend. Aww. We had the Oktoberfest. You know what? I had, uh, I guess, a con- uh, little continuity from the last episode. I did have another pumpkin beer earlier today with dinner. Better? Um, yes, I had the Dogfish Head Pumpkin Ale, which is a, a nice one. Um, I don't, it's not necessarily the best pumpkin ale I, I, I've had. There are some like uh, smaller volume ones that are, are better, but it, it's kind of uh, a classic. So it's kind of always around and it's it reminds me of autumn. So what are you drinking tonight for the show? Tonight, uh, the cocktail I am drinking is a Red Hook. Oh. Yes, it's a uh, variation on the Manhattan from... I've got a book here um, that is all about the Manhattan. Um, It's a a history of the Manhattan, and it has various recipes and riffs on the Manhattan. Uh, This one is... uh, it's a riff on a Manhattan, obviously named after the section of Brooklyn called Red Hook. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a, uh, it's like a Manhattan, but with like half of the vermouth removed and maraschino added in its place. All right. So I've got some rye, some uh, punti mess and some uh, maraschino. And uh, yeah, it's nice. I mean, the maraschino really pops through. Um, but you know, it's a nice little twist and, uh, the title has red in it, which is a little foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you? What are you drinking? I'm also drinking a red drink called the Old Pal. Uh, so I've classic. got some Campari in there, some uh, dry vermouth, as I promised. I would find another dry vermouth that was not a martini. And uh, <laughs> some Canadian rye, Canadian club. So Canadian club? I think so, right? You're going into the well there. you got a well drink going on. Yeah, but that's like a fashionable well Canadian yeah, that's rye. Right. Yeah. That's the Don Draper yeah, exactly. rye. Yeah, Yeah, very nice. So why do we both have red... Uh, in our drink names or selections we're tonight. going to we're going to mars even though red is a tesla color we're going to mars um get your ass to mars yes uh total or, or get your get your musk to mars yes, as it total were recall there we go <laughs> i i just always remember the eyes popping out of the sockets uh spoiler alert that's yes that and quid Start the reactor. I just that that movie is so funny because that hotel remind or the 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 set design for that reminds me of the um the Luxor, like the uh the the inclinators and like the very angular stuff. I've stayed at the Luxor once. The concrete one, yeah, that's actually the concrete set there. I think it's like a subway station somewhere around where they where they're having the shootout and kind of brutalist uh, subway architecture. Maybe in L.A. or D.C. Yes, it is a quite brutalistic uh, piece of architecture. But um, yeah, so we're, ta- we're, we're going to talk about <laughs> Mars. And uh, the context here is Elon was uh, recently speaking at the International Astronautical Federation down when he was in Adelaide, Australia this year, uh, a few few days prior. And uh, he spoke there a year ago as well, not on behalf of Tesla, but on half, behalf of his other company, SpaceX. And um we didn't talk about it last year um, because, you know, for whatever reason. Because we were still doing Tesla news we, at we that were, point. <laughs> we were still doing Tesla stuff, but... Uh, now we're stretching it well, out. Well, now we've got two data points, and I think <laughs> there was certainly a lot of uh, concern that he was just gone a little crazy with his plans. And this year, he pretty much reiterated them and refined them. So I wanted to talk about what he said, and then bring a little bit of context uh, to it for everyone else. So this episode will be very limited on its uh, discussion of uh, Tesla related news, except for 
Elon as the connecting thread. Um, but I, I, <laughs> I found the whole videos and what he's doing here pretty interesting because for him, this is one of the three, I guess, pillars of their legs of the stool. So he has one sustainable energy and transport. So that's Tesla. He has making safe AI, which is open AI. And then the third is make life a multiplanetary species or humans, a multiplanetary species, um, which is <laughs> SpaceX. So um, we've never really done an episode on SpaceX and we might do one on the company, but this will certainly touch on it. So that's uh, what I, what I thought we could talk about tonight. So sounds good. Buckle up. We're going to Mars. So <laughs> Elon, start the reactor. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I, I can't stop with the Total Recall. It's, it's a classic from my childhood. That's all right. Um, so Mars has, I don't know, I, maybe we start there. Uh, you, you have some, uh, you know, at hand uh, local ideas of, of Mars from uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I was just mentioning before <laughs> we started recording Mars Attacks. Uh, we recently had a very popular movie and book, The Martian. What, what is our fascination with Mars? Why, why is Mars such a big deal? Well, Mars is, of course, the closest planet. Is it the closest planet to us or is Venus closer? I think it um, well, anyways, it's one of the two closest planets to us. It's very similar to Earth in its composition and size, uh, except that uh, whatever happened over the course of the uh, evolution of the solar system, Mars lost its atmosphere. We think it still has water or yeah, we know it, it definitely still has, has water. water and ice. Yeah. Um, and but yeah, it has much less atmosphere, less gravity because it's a smaller planet. But, you know, it's close enough to Earth to be somewhat Earth-like. Like if we spot a Mars around another sun, we would consider that to be an Earth-like planet. Um, and yeah, and it, it's been captivating to us because it's, it's, it's a planet that you can see with the naked yeah. eye. Um, Mars and Venus are, are two that you'll frequently see in, in the night sky moving around. Um, and that's why it was one of the earliest ones we know, named after what, like a, a Roman god, a uh, Roman god of mm -hmm. war, because it's red, and red makes people angry, yep. I guess. that iron. I'm, I'm going out of my <laughs> element here, but it's, uh, yeah, it's one of the first, uh, maybe the first, uh, I don't know about this, but it's one of the first planets that we've explored, the, uh, like the Mariner, uh, I believe, uh, spacecraft made it out to Mars in the 60s. Mm -hmm like mid 60s i yeah. think um made it made it out there and and first beamed back some photos and kind of uh disabused people of the uh war of the world's narrative of there being like a race of martians who are going to come and invade the uh the the yeah. earth uh and that we started getting back some grainy photos showing that that mars was essentially a, a desert wasteland yeah and the the things that struck me i mean i i remember obviously learning about mars a little bit uh as a as a kid but I really, I really just sort of remember it as Martians and this idea that there were Martians <laughs> and they were going to come for us. And that was where, that's yeah, where well, aliens there was were. a big scare. Yeah. There was a big radio scare in the early 20th yeah, century. So that's where, yeah, that's the race, the Orson the Welles, biggest uh, fake war. news ever. Um, <laughs> the, the original. original. Um, so yeah, I, I remember that sort of being this idea of that's where aliens, if they exist right now, are going to come from in pop culture use, using that. But then uh, only recently, really in the past, I don't know, past five or six years as uh, SpaceX has been, and Elon in particular, have been pushing Mars, come to realize how similar uh, it, or how, how potentially similar it is for us to, to make it a planet we could go and live on. Because 
think the idea for, you know, going to the moon has always been so desolate. There's really not that many resources. There's no atmosphere. <laughs> uh, there's no water that we know well, of. So. And it's not its own entity. It's a it's a satellite of right. Earth. So you're you're not actually leaving the Earth orbit at that point. It's you're getting off of Earth, which is cool, but you're there's I guess an extra threshold of of getting into a different uh, sort of sort of orbit. Yeah, and and the other thing that's like kind of interesting is that uh, it's almost exa- it's like a little bit more than 24 hours um, for for a day, which is great for uh, if we want to have you know meetings that'll be really fun to do the time zones <laughs> dude that skype call is gonna some have some, tw- some, some hella lag, lag i think is sort of what the current uh <laughs> or, or it can go down to like a, i think like five minutes i think when it's when we're mm. closest but yeah yeah and then the atmosphere i mean it's 96 percent carbon dioxide so uh it's quite ready to uh you know plenty of fuel and food for for uh, plants um yeah, let's get some. Let's get the ficus out there and, and get yeah, it going. Yeah, and then yeah, they one of the stats that was really interesting to me was that uh, apparently the um, the volume of water ice in the solar po- in the South Polar ice cap, if melted, would be sufficient to cover the entire planetary surface to a depth of thirty six feet. So, oh, uh, and and as a species, we're very good at melting ice caps to cover yes, the planet. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the idea is that actually at, at one point it's very likely that Mars had uh, oceans and may have had, uh, you know, life in a similar way that we have on Earth, even if it was just vegetation or uh, very single low cell organisms. And that uh, Elon expects that we might even be able to terraform it back to that sort of state and eventually, you know, not have to have uh, rebreathers and um, be in spacesuits. So... <laughs> That, that the the fact that that's even a possibility uh, in a in a distance that we could achieve is pretty uh, special, um, since we don't really have any other evidence that that exists anywhere near us. Um, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think that brings up an interesting point, which maybe we're jumping ahead a little bit, but I think I say that every episode. Um, but yeah, this idea of of kind of having looking for signs of life that might have existed in the past, almost like sort of a exploratory archaeological function but then also this idea of like plowing ahead with like terraforming or or even just like you know colonizing and and uh up till now uh any i believe by by treaty like any country who sends uh probes to other planets has to do everything they can possibly do to decontaminate those things so we don't actually like you know bring a few stray microbes from earth and drop them on the planet as we land there and then start like with super sensitive instruments looking for life and then say hey we found some life but it's actually life that we brought with yeah. us um, and then you know once you start introducing crude missions and and you know you can only you can't really completely decontaminate humans like we've got uh, an incredible amount of microbes that we carry around with us uh, we, we couldn't live without them uh, so I, I think there's a really interesting question around like uh, it seems like as soon as you start introducing uh, like crude colonization into uh, the the planetary mission you've essentially like ended the let's search for original life mission because you've you've contaminated it yeah that i think that's probably right and i think uh the best evidence we have so far that this is at least considered and all right by nasa is they have plans to send humans to mars by 20 in the 2030s um so they must already be comfortable enough that they're gonna put people there um and let our filth 
permeate Mars um, and there will be residuals from us. Uh, but yeah, I think even... We'll have to look for the alien pyramids Yeah, even later. some of the uh, beliefs that we had found uh, life on Mars back in the, I guess it was the 90s or something when we did some flyovers, uh, there was a lot of debate about the uh, probe's accuracy and potential, uh, potential sort of a contamination uh, by humans. Um, so this is sort of an ongoing challenge of uh, a little bit of a Schrodinger's cat situation. Um, well, I mean, it's sim- a little bit similar to uh, building things on Earth, even where you ha- you might have like, you know, you start digging to put new buildings in, but you hit things that have some sort of archaeological significance. And, you know, the developers want to keep going and build and the archaeologists come in and they want to actually like dig that up and figure out what was going on there before. And it's always, I guess, a bit of a, a balance. Elon last year started his talk with this idea of why do we go anywhere at all? And uh, he, he framed it pretty starkly, as he's wont to do, uh, that there are two paths. Uh, one is we stay on Earth forever, and there's eventually an extinction-level event. Uh, he made it very clear he wasn't hoping for one, uh, just that the probability is in the favor that at some point something will cause Earth to um, extinct life, either through uh, a big meteor or a volcano or ourselves. Um, we don't want to be the dinosaurs. And yeah, and th- at some point that's the very likely um, before the sun sun death um and that option two would be to become a spacefaring civilization and a multi-planet species which would uh protect against uh, humanity's complete extinction uh if in the event that earth were to um blow up or cease to have (laughs) life uh in any meaningfully short duration before we got to, or after we got to, uh, to Mars. And so he, his idea was we want option two, we want to be a spacefaring civilization. And that even from a less sort of practical and uh, pragmatic point of view, he believes that, uh, it is more inspiring and it's sort of the most exciting thing he can imagine to, uh, know that there would be people out there exploring and living on other planets and eventually moving to other star systems and uh, potentially other galaxies as we continue to progress. And that, you know, we had a space program that landed on the moon uh, in, in fifth, six, what was it, 59 or 69? I always 69. 69. And yeah, I mean, we 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 and we like regressed. Yeah, well, JFK like made that that. I mean, I guess this is why we have the the expression moonshot, right? Like he made that speech where we are going to go to the moon in this decade oh, and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. <laughs> Pretty good. Okay, that, That's better yeah, than my Musk well, impersonation yeah. that I could imagine doing, but yeah. I won't. But I, I am from Boston. So, yeah, you know. you're a little closer. Uh, Yes. And Elon can probably pronounce decade better, but yeah, I mean, I, I think there's this idea of like, it's a crazy thing, right? It's like the, there was no way anyone thought we, I mean, we didn't, we weren't even the first country in space, right? Like, you know, Sputnik beat us. Yuri Gagarin was the first man in space. Um, and we were, we were playing catch up and it was, you know, this was the era of the cold war and the space race. And we were terrified that the, the Russians were going to beat us. Uh, and, and that, that led to a lot of sort of, uh, fear-based motivation, I guess. But then there was also this idea of uh, this sort of exploratory optimism, I guess, which, which we really seem to have lost. We've, Mm -hmm. we've really gotten pretty nihilistic as a, as a society lately. Uh, And, and yeah, I, I I don't know if, if Elon's going to be able to do it, but this idea of having this sort of noble, 
uh, exploratory goal seems pretty exciting. Yeah. And, and also, you know, we, we did that and then we went and created this space shuttle in 81 and started sending people again and coming back and exploring. We didn't go back to the moon, but we kind of went to now low earth orbit. Um, and then we retired the shuttle program and then we sort of focused on, science missions. Um, and we've done dozens of, uh, either rovers or flybys of Mars, but I think that it's pretty fair to say that the general public's, uh, captivation with space travel, um, through actual actions of NASA and other countries has diminished since the sixties. And, um, one of the, one of sort of the, the famous, uh, you know, uh, guys here in Silicon Valley, Peter Thiel likes to remind people that, you know, we used to imagine having flying cars and being in space. And now we have things like Twitter and, uh, it's sort of a slightly jokish, um, idea, but, but that we had this idea that we would continue. And I think many people, uh, from the sixties, if you were to tell them, where would you be in 2017 space wise, uh, they would have projected <laughs> a lot more than where we are. And I think that's sort of where Elon is, is, is feeling like we really haven't made as much progress in space as he would have hoped. And the broader point is that it's obvious that if you don't push on these things, they won't happen. Uh, you won't get Mars colonies and even lunar bases without people deciding to do it and making the investment and putting in the hard work to make it happen. And he's decided to take a lot of that into his own hands with, with SpaceX. So I think that's his, that's his point is he wants to see this happen and this is his dream. And he's using a uh, private for-profit company to pursue that dream. And, and others are too, um, you know, not to forget people like Jeff Bezos and, um, and, and even folks like Richard Branson, which are approaching this differently, but I think both are excited by space and, and the future of getting humans into space more regularly and permanently eventually. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that that highlights a, an interesting sort of dichotomy, I guess, in the idea of exploring space and, and the reasons as to why we would do it. And you see this a lot in, in various sci-fi universes where people have kind of done thought experiments and, and, and kind of went and extrapolated how these different things would go out, that there's this sort of noble exploration goal, which I guess you could say, I mean, if you take a, if you discount the Cold War fear-based uh, approach, but like in the 60s when we got to the moon, it was really exploratory, right? Like we wanted to be able to do it. We wanted to be able to see what it was when we got there. And there wasn't really any commercial consideration. And then there's another tack, which is explored quite a bit in sci-fi, especially dystopian sci-fi, mm -hmm. um, where exploring space is more capitalism-based, where it's like, you know, you're, you're mining asteroids for their resources, or, you know, you're mining ice off of planets it's for water. I mean, I, if you re read the Expanse series, like they, they're, they're going in and, and, you know, they've got people living on asteroids to uh, mine, like as miners, like pulling things out of them and, and, and they've got to colonize Mars there too. But um, yeah, there, there's just a lot of, of uh, sci-fi that has explored that tack where it's like, what is the commercial gain that could be achieved from going out and exploring space? Yeah. And I think even, uh, you know, to the exploration, one of my one of my favorite all-time, my, my number one all-time favorite show is The West Wing. Um, <laughs> and we will not do a West Wing show. There's a very good one. Um, but we could mention where uh, President Bartlett was from. He was from New Hampshire. The great state of New Hampshire. Live, live yes. free or die. Um, <laughs> and 
So why would we go to Mars? Well, Carol? there was actually an episode about uh, a a probe slash rover uh, that was named Curiosity on the show, and I guess yeah. Um, and uh, one of the main central characters, Sam Seaborn, played by uh, Jeff Lowe, um, was Rob Lowe. What Rob Lowe? Yes, thank you. <laughs> I don't know why I said Jeff. Uh, and uh, he was he was being questioned by someone who was uh, unhappy with the idea of spending taxpayer money to go explore for, for Mars. And uh, why would we need to go to Mars? We already went to the moon. And, A new Gingrich type character in the, in the 90s. And I liked I liked what he said. He said, because it's next. Because we came out of the cave, we looked over the hill and we saw fire and we crossed the ocean and we pioneered the west and we took to the sky. The history of man is hung on a timeline of exploration and this is what's next. And I just thought that was sort of a neat uh, Aaron Sorkin-ish way, well, Aaron Sorkin way of uh, <laughs> encapsulating this idea that there there does seem to be a desire uh, amongst a, uh, a group of people, uh, humans who want to go out and explore. And uh, we, we settled uh, California where we both live and people came from all over the place to uh, live in the United States. And yeah, I think the idea of being out in and among the stars and on another planet is exciting and just so yeah. cool to imagine that there'd be people who are doing work and building things on Mars and that you could eventually have grandchildren or great grandchildren who would be born on Mars or something. I mean, it's just, there's something, uh, so exciting and expansive about that. And I'm not even a super huge sci-fi like space nerd, but I still really find it super fascinating and exciting. And so I, when I first heard about this plan a year ago, I was like, this is incredible. So let's get to, let's get to what the plan is. And then we'll, yes. we'll talk more about uh, some of the challenges and uh, critiques of it. So yeah. What did Elon drop down in Oz? Yeah. So last year he highlighted the the broad strokes and some of the details. And this year he did a refinement. So I'll sort of co coalesce both, but I'll start with last year to give the primer. Um, okay. So yeah, so Mars, sort of the best candidate planet for us to go to. So that's why we want to go to Mars. Um, the other, so, so the big things we need to do are reduce the cost because right now, if we wanted to go to Mars uh, with sort of a space, like a, a government-funded program, it would probably cost somewhere on the order of $10 billion per person to send someone to Mars. That's a pretty pricey ticket. Right. So it is possible. Um, Do you get a bag with that, too, or is there a baggage fee? I'm not goes? sure. That was probably yeah. going to be carry-on only, um, personal <laughs> items. Well, as we know from sci-fi, it's going to be Pan Am that's right. bringing us up there. So, yeah, who yeah. knows? And we're going to be wearing nice uh, leather shoes and white, there'll be white floors. Um, so, yeah, so the problem is right now, if you want to go to Mars, it'd be $10 billion per person. There's no way uh, we could, I mean, we pretty much blow the entire uh, GDP of the entire world on trying to create a, a, you know, a million person city. So we have to bring the price down. And uh, Elon projects we really need to bring it down about 5 million percent. <laughs> So that's not, not usually a number you hear in front of percent. Right. So 5 million percent change on something is very large. Uh, it, it comes out to just about four and a half orders of, of magnitude because um, he, he thinks it's actually four and a half instead of five. But anyways, so <laughs> we need to get the price down. And he estimates we really want to get the price down to around the median price of a home in the U.S., which is around $200,000. So Whoa, really? Yeah. 
Oh, that's right. We live in San Francisco. So, <laughs> right. That sounds cheap to you, right? $200,000. <laughs> yeah, that's like a down payment around here. Um, All right. That would be, yeah, sorry. even that would still be a pretty cheap $1 million house. Um, yeah. So basically that if you wanted to go and worked really hard to get there, you could. And if you were extremely rich, it would not be that crazy uh, to imagine the go. And you could probably get sponsors and, and there'd be a lot of companies that might want to sponsor someone to, to go uh, for, for working oh purposes so eventually. So it's all billionaires and YouTubers going up. That's, that's, that sounds, that sounds horrible. Although I would probably hate watch that show. I'm not sure exactly what it will end up being, but the point is this isn't, uh, it, it, he's not intending to get it down to like a thousand dollars off the bat, like $200,000 per ticket is still quite a lot. And that ends up being around like 1.5 tons. Uh, per person is sort of what he's estimating that price at. So, well, wasn't that what Virgin Galactic was targeting for their like just low Earth orbit joyrides? Yeah, yeah, that's, I think it was like around one hundred fifty thousand. And the other like thing that. is, you can fly on the super premium uh, Asian airlines in their like deluxe cabin, super first class for like twenty five thousand dollars a flight. So, oh, is that the one where the seat turns into a bed? That's where there TV? is a bed. I mean, that yeah, uh. those are the they've got doors and their own personal bathroom. So, I mean. There are and and um, a round trip flight to Australia from LA on a private seven forty seven costs half a million dollars. So there are people who are spending this kind of money on airfare. I mean, it, it's certainly not the same thing, but two hundred thousand dollars is sort of where he's targeting it. So to achieve that, there's sort of four big things that need to happen from where we are today to where we need to go to, and and these are the things that. Uh, he focused on in his first presentation. So the first was full re, re, full reusability. Uh, and he believes this is the majority of the improvement. So between two to two and a half orders of magnitude of that uh, improvement come from full reusability. Uh, the next is refilling in orbit. So it's so a full reusability meaning of the rocket that's that's taking the, the vehicle up to uh, orbit. Of the rocket and the actual spaceship itself. Um, okay. Because so, right now, so I guess the, we should say, other than SpaceX, right now the state of the art is that a the rocket is is a bespoke like one off thing where if you want to launch a satellite into orbit and you're not using SpaceX, uh, the rocket actually you they build this incredibly complicated engine yeah. and rocket hundred fifty million dollar thing. Yeah, and it rockets you up into space and it just burns up and it gets destroyed on the way back into the orbit. So it's a a, a one time thing. It's like a it's like ordering an iPhone that gets delivered in a 747 that and then the 747 is just thrown away when it lands. Yeah, exactly. That's that's Elon's favorite way of describing this to people of why this is important, that if you were to buy, you know, a 90 million dollar aircraft uh, and only fly it once, the seats would be very expensive from New York to L.A. Um, <laughs> Your price per seat would be. Yeah, that would be ridiculous. But if you actually reuse it thousands and thousands of times like we do, uh, you can amortize the cost of the airplane over all those passengers and you can get flights that are, you know, a couple hundred dollars to the East Coast, the West Coast instead of, you know. Hundred thousand, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars per flight, and that if the cost of airfare was that expensive, not many people would fly. And so, one of the criticisms of SpaceX and Elon and all of this has been, well, how many people would want? Like, how many people want to actually launch satellites? How many? Like, what's the point? Not that many people seem to want to do much stuff in space. And his retort is, well, when the cost is so high, it it's pretty limiting the number of businesses that make sense uh, when you have to spend $90 million to do one thing. And 
that's it. Right. This is, I mean, this is basically like who would want to use a computer when you're in the mid 20th century, right? When they take up, you know, it, it takes an entire room and it requires a whole staff of people to get it running and it takes so long to do things. Like, why would anyone want a computer? It's only going to be the biggest companies that can afford to use a computer. And, you know, fast forward a couple decades and we've got computers in our pockets. Right. And, and on our wrists um, and in our ears. <laughs> um, so the, the the state of the art right now with SpaceX is that they now can actually refly the boosters, which is about 60 to 70 percent of the cost. Uh, and so they shoot the rocket uh, out off uh, the pad and the uh, payload separates. So that's stage separation. So there's two stages, the big booster rocket and then the place where the payload is. And uh, the rocket booster comes back to earth and lands either on a drone ship at sea or on uh, a landing pad nearby uh, in, in Cape Canaveral. And yeah, can we just pause for a moment to, to, to note how amazing it is that SpaceX is launching rockets up and they are with rocket engines landing themselves like, like kind of upside down, I guess, or, or, I guess right. No, side they come up, back the same direction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, it's, it looks but in like reverse, the video. Basically, I mean, it looks like a rocket launch video being played in reverse, but it's actually a rocket landing on little legs on a barge on a remote control or like a, a robotic barge yeah. in the middle of a rolling ocean. It with no I, pilot. I, I mean, this is completely automated. Yeah, I, I watch all of these SpaceX like launch and landing videos, and every single time it completely blows my mind what I'm seeing. Like, this is the coolest thing, and it's only like. For context, people in the space industry did not believe this was possible. And even if it was possible, there'd be no economic reason to do it because it would be so costly to develop that there's clearly people paying to throw these rockets away anyway. So why would you spend the effort to develop this if it might not even happen? And it took SpaceX and Elon Musk saying, well, if we want to get to Mars, which is our ultimate goal... Of course, these have to be reusable because otherwise it will never hit the price point we need. So enabling technology we need, we have to be able to land them. Let's go figure that out. And <laughs> oh, by the way, now SpaceX, SpaceX's prices were already about half the price of most of their major competitors. And now they get to reap the profit benefit of having those cheaper prices and also get to reuse some of their boosters. So from a business point of view, it's incredible. But I remember seeing the first one land and it was only two years ago and it, it literally felt like it was a science fiction movie. I mean, Oh, totally. It looked like CGI. Yeah. You, like I could, it was the one thing where I could see if you're one of these like crazy conspiracy theorists, who's like talking about fake moon landings and stuff. If you're going to argue anything was fake, it's this ridiculous video of a rocket landing. Yeah. I mean, I, I still, I still love watching them every time and he, they've now done 16 in a row. They do a really good job with the live stream. Yeah, too, the li so if you haven't watched one of these, and I would be shocked if some of the listeners haven't, but if you haven't, you should go watch them. They're all on the SpaceX, um, I think, YouTube channel. And they're great. They've got like actual, like the actual engineers and, and rocket scientists are there talking about it. And it's just, it's so great to watch. It, there was the one where they launched like 10 satellites out of the, out of the. Oh yeah. The little vehicle. Iridium uh, station. Yeah. The Iridium. Little yeah. Ones. That one was great. Cause you got like 10 different launches going on as, as it was a really long live stream. It's just, it's just so incredible. And they come back and they hit, hit on the, on the X. And one of the things he said in the most recent one 
is that they're getting so precise that the next version, this new um, rocket system, which we'll mention in a minute, uh, is going to land without legs because it's going to re-land back on the mounts that it starts on. So (laughs) that's like sub-centimeter accuracy. This thing's going to come back. So this is what, sidebar for Tesla, this is what gives me the confidence that Tesla uh, and Elon in particular understand what automated systems need to do uh, to, to eventually get to self-driving. But, uh, you know, in, in air and uh, 3D space, there's not as many things to hit. But just sort of the kind of rigor that's required uh, to pull off this sort of uh, system is pretty amazing. And uh, Anyways, I just true, but I don't think they're sharing teams, though. I don't think don't they're think... sharing teams, but I think he certainly has the uh, moral authority to uh, crack the whip, uh, as okay. it were. So that's all that you know. Okay. It'd be hard to say, Elon, this is the hardest thing ever, <laughs> and then he comes back and says, <laughs> "Look at what my other kids are doing. Why can't you clean up the kitchen? <laughs> Why can't you get this car to you know stop at a stop sign reliably? Because I can land rockets." You know, no one did that before. So this is just a child's play. Come on. Um, It's the old playing the siblings off each other kind of thing. Yeah, stepdad problems. Um, So, yeah, so we've got full reusability, which means they need to go from just sort of that first stage. Because then the the second stage where they actually keep the payload of the satellites or uh, the the sort of the stuff they they have, uh, cargo they're bringing to the space station, uh, that ends up, the fairing ends up you know, going into the ocean and burning up or just ending up in the ocean if it doesn't burn up fully. Um, So they want to get fully reusable. And people will point out that the shuttle uh, was reusable, but the shuttle was fully taken apart uh, and took like a year plus to uh, get ready for a next mission. So that wasn't really fully reusable. That would be like saying an F1 car is reusable. Kind of is, but... They pretty much rebuild the engine every single time it goes out on the track. So Yeah, well, and they have multiple shuttles to keep the cadence right, going. Right, exactly. It was sort of a, a hat trick. Um, so full reusability. The second one is refilling in orbit. Um, this one took me a little bit to really grok because you'd be like, well, why don't you just put a bigger tank? Like, ah, duh. And uh, unfortunately, the physics uh, here don't work to do that. If you're carrying extra fuel, uh, you need bigger rockets, which use more fuel. And you end up in the spot where you can't bring enough fuel uh, to get you there without having a massive, massive uh, rocket, which has a lot of other downsides. And so basically, uh, you can have a much smaller rocket system uh, that can fight gravity which is a lot of energy and then uh when you're out of gravity and just in low earth orbit then you can put fuel back in and actually the uh, amount of energy required to get to mars um will be significant you'll you just have all the fuel back at 100 percent um yeah so the the idea here is what you're saying is is they would launch up like if they have a vehicle that they want to take to mars they would put it up in space and then they would make subsequent missions that can have like some percentage of the fuel they will need like they'll launch the next mission will go up and it'll actually just have like you know maybe like a quarter of the tank of fuel that the mars ship will need and it'll launch up there it'll put it'll put the fuel in the ship and then it'll come down and the next one will go up and it'll put it in there and then they'll have like 50 percent of their fuel and the next one goes up and it's like so basically you're just sending up like it's like refueling, but it's really just fueling at that point. Yeah, it's just tankers. Because you need enough you need enough fuel to launch yourself to Mars. And then physics being what it is, you need 
uh, enough fuel to slow yourself down so you don't just go careening by Mars. <laughs> so you, however fast you end up going, like this is kind of the reason why you can't use a solar sail is that you you can't just build up speed. You also have to be able to slow down. Right. And the uh, estimates they, that SpaceX engineers put it at was that it'd be about five to 10 times the size and the cost if you couldn't refuel. Uh, in orbit. And so when you look at something like the Saturn V rocket, which was the biggest rocket we've ever built, which is what we used to get to the moon. Which is enormous, by the way. I, I stood under it when I was in Florida as a kid, and it is mind-blowing how huge this It's like lying on its side at Cape Canaveral. It's enormous. Yeah, it is. It is massive, and this is going to be bigger than it. Um, <laughs> it's crazy. So you would you would need something pretty, pretty huge um so yeah the, the fuel reuse of the um sorry the uh, refilling in orbit is pretty cool because they basically have to uh come up with a system that can also deliver fuel and um that's new we haven't ever had to deliver fuel to space and then fuel but the closest thing we've done is uh dock with the iss and right. this is so if in fuel full reusability uh what's the evidence that tesla or sorry that spacex can do this uh it's that <laughs> they have been for the past five six years been working steadily from the grasshopper little tests they did with tiny little falcon ones to falcon nines now successfully 16 times in a row uh, landing successfully refine that technology so they have some confidence that they're going to be able to do uh the, the landing stuff which is great then on the refilling, uh, you need to be able to mate with something that's already in a low Earth orbit in space. And uh, they've had NASA train them how to do that by the NASA missions that they do to uh, bring cargo to the space station and uh, also to uh, bring science materials back to Earth in their Dragon capsule. So they, in the most recent talk, he was sort of laying out how they've been addressing these uh, technology development programs and sort of stealthily been building up what's going to be required to to build this um, Mars process. So refilling in orbit is one of the, the number two biggest things you need to do. Um, uh, oh, and the other kind of interesting sidebar on the refilling in orbit, um, it gives you a buffer. So if you were slightly off on fuel or slightly, you know, underpowered or one engine went out, then you'd sort of be a little bit too close to the edge in their view um, if you weren't able to refuel. But when you refuel, if it if there's too much wind or something and you're low on fuel or lower on fuel than you expected, uh, you can just you know, bring up more fuel, uh, you do one more tanker fill. Um, and if you think you want to, you know, really make sure the tanks are a hundred percent filled, you can do that even if it's not fully necessary, um, to, to get you there. So right. you're can, using the, the lower earth orbit is like your staging grounds, where right? You're, you're just constantly like re resupplying really the, the ship and bringing up everything you need and getting ready for the mission, however many it takes. And then at, at once you're ready, then you launch. And the other thing is you not only can refill fuel, but you could refill cargo. So you may not want to blast off with, you know, an extra 20 tons of cargo, but you could bring up 20 tons of cargo later. And obviously that cargo doesn't um, have as big an impact uh, in space on the transfer. It does obviously when you're landing, um, yeah. but you can have enough fuel to make sure you can handle that. So that also is really important spreads your risk too if, if one of your launches you know they're not a hundred percent so if one of your launches fails you don't completely lose everything you needed for the mission too right yep 
So then the next piece is you get to Mars. How do you get back? Because you certainly can't bring enough fuel to come back um, with you uh, based on the the physics. Once again, those darn physics. So (laughs) you need to make propellant on Mars. And uh, if you didn't do this, there'd be a 500% increase in the cost per trip. So it is technically possible, but again, 5x the cost so it would not really work out um <laughs> and that's because you'd need to bring all the fuel with you that you would need to get back yeah. yeah and then you need a bigger ship and you need bigger engines to carry that mass around all the time um <laughs> and you'd be landing with a more explosive cargo too yeah that's always fun um so you need to then build a build propellant on mars which also means that you need a propellant for the vehicle that is possible to create on Mars. And so Mars has a CO2 atmosphere and there's also water. And uh, so with H2O and CO2, you can create methane and oxygen. And so this is what they're going to make a a special methalox, uh, like a super cold cryomethalox, they're calling it. Um, That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. And so you're going to use electrolysis um, to take the water. So you take water, you give it electricity, and then you get the oxygen. Uh, so and this you, is like a, an established method, too. This isn't something they've invented. No. This is a, an established method to, to chemically combine these things and get, a, a, get what you need. Right. Exactly. This is not new. This is, I mean, I think high school physics or high school chemistry kids will do both of these um so you got it depends where you went to high school maybe electrolysis how many bunsen burners did you have um (laughs) so oxygen uh and then you liquefy it and store it in tanks and then the uh, co2 plus uh, hydrogen uh with the sabatier reaction um gets you uh, methane um and i believe that's the same reaction they use in the uh that matt damon's character in uh, the martian used to create the fuel (laughs) for his escape as well uh, and where he like lit his eyebrows on fire. <laughs> Pretty sure. <laughs> Fun fact: I I just learned the Martian uh, takes place in the same uh, universe as the Expanse series. If you're Ooh. if you're into this sort of thing, uh, in the Expanse series, there is a a ship called the Mark Watney, which uh, is apparently uh, referencing that. And apparently those those uh those things are all consistent. So, anyways fun uh if you're if you're gonna join up for the mars congressional republic you uh you probably need to know that yes so the yeah the <laughs> the, the propellant they're using on their current the spacex is using on their current rockets uh is a special kerosene jet fuel um it's they thought about using well they considered it briefly but basically there's no way to make that because uh, there's no oil uh on mars thank that god that we know of that we know of and so you can't really use that fuel. Um, they originally thought they were going to go with hydrogen, um, but they found out it was just going to be extremely difficult to keep from boiling off um, at the at the uh, absolute zero sort of temperatures it needs to be kept at to keep it liquid. Uh, and then also the amount of insulation you need to keep it that cold is really crazy. So <laughs> even though like deep cryomethalox is not the most uh, perfect fuel on paper, it's the best for the system as a whole. And uh, that also means that, yeah, these new engines are going to be running on this new fuel. Um, so I thought that was, I thought this was actually funny. So what, as I was watching the, this recent video, um, the one from Adelaide, um, <laughs> I was watching it for, you know, like the first half hour or whatever they were going into it. And he keeps talking about this. I'm thinking to myself, 
you know, this Elon's whole claim to fame is like, you know, sustainable energy. And like, he's got this electric car company and solar power and batteries. And I'm thinking like, this is ridiculous that he's talking so much about like burning methane to get out of the atmosphere. And then at some point, like maybe like a half hour or more in, they actually addressed it where they said, Hey, you know, this is, he, he joked that, you know, he's, he's, you know, talking about burning fuels, even though he's running the electric and that there really is no electric way to get out of earth orbit. So, you know, we're kind of stuck using this, but he Um, did, but he then went on to say that they could do this sustainably on earth too. So the same way that they're going to have to build these propellant depots on Mars to create this from CO2 and, uh, and from water or sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, from methane, um, that they can, that they can make this on earth too. So they would yeah. be able to do this sustainably with very large solar arrays uh, and basically pull CO2 out of the atmosphere, which is good for us and just take water and then they can, they can make this. So, um, <laughs> so they, we don't have to use car <laughs> cow farts forever, right? We can, we can burn some of the methane that we're already generating, but we can make our own if we need yeah, to. Yeah, We can make our own methane. So it, you know, it won't really help cause it'll absorb all this stuff and then push it back into our own atmosphere. Uh, not all of it, but most of it. Um, but uh, so it's basically a carbon sink. So we, we need to we need to convert our climate problem into a space solution. A fuel solution, yeah. So yeah. the process of the whole system, if for folks who hadn't watched it, um, so you can imagine there's going to be this huge rocket on 39A, which is a very famous pad where the Apollo missions happen on Cape Canaveral. It will take off with massive amount of thrust, huge, uh, massive, uh, <laughs> there'll be stage separation. So, uh, the booster and the, uh, spaceship will separate, uh, the spaceship will head into that parking orbit. So it'll basically pause and just orbit the earth, not crazy high up, sort of in a low earth orbit. The booster will return to earth. It will land back on its launch mount and about 20, uh, about 20 minutes later. So this is pretty fast. If you've never seen this, like they come back really quickly. Um, It takes a lot of energy to keep them up. Uh, Then the propellant tanker is loaded onto the booster and then it takes off again. And then the tanker mates with the spaceship. The tanker returns to earth and then it can refuel a few times. Then the spaceship will depart from Mars from its parking orbit. Uh, The, the uh, engines will then turn off a 200 kilowatt, solar array will deploy uh, to power a lot of the electronics and power the batteries it will coast for 62,000 at coast at 62,000 miles per hour so that's pretty pretty quick <laughs> and then it will enter mars and does it have uh, a ludicrous mode i think that is ludicrous yeah <laughs> that might be maximum plaid uh, and then the, the landing legs will deploy and it will land on the surface and then the space-suited humans can walk out um the one refinement is it, it looks like they've gotten rid of this sort of tanker idea com- a little bit. And basically um, that the same exact crew cabins could be uh, the propellant tankers, too. So, I thought that was weird. I thought the I mean, the there's the whole problem of we, the reason why or one of the reasons why the space station is in low Earth orbit is that you're you're protected from the sun's gamma rays by the Earth's magnetosphere. So, you know, you're you're you're. You, I mean, you still have more than you would at the surface, obviously. I mean, just flying over the poles in a in an airplane, you have more exposure. Uh, but 
like getting out of the Earth's magnetosphere and into interstellar space, or I, mean, I guess not interstellar space, but you know, in interplanetary space. Yes. Uh, I, there's yeah, there's the the whole shielding of of the cosmic rays that are going to be bombarding the astronauts is. I felt like that was a little hand wavy in the uh, in that. I feel like a lot of sci-fi goes into all sorts of various ways in which you have you know thick lead or or lots of water around uh, storing all your water on the outside to to absorb the rays. There's all sorts of different things that different sci-fi uh, authors have have gone into, and I feel like that was that was kind of waved over there between in the like you know Earth to Mars transition period. Yeah, and one of the other things that they've had to deal with is they were gonna they were planning to send the one of the dragon capsules to Mars with people in it, potentially. Um and that was gonna be a really tight squeeze. But um <laughs> yeah, Elon had gotten that question, I think, last year and was like, Yeah, we can we can solve it. It's actually not that much radiation. It's 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 like some number of X rays that are tolerable to humans, uh, like if you were to go to the doctor. So it increases your risk, but not that much. So he, I don't and know. Really, they, if you grow a third arm by the time you get there, that makes you more useful on Mars, right? Yeah, he didn't, he didn't seem as, uh, as, as concerned about it, but I'm sure there are people there who are aware that that is a thing. So I, I would hope they're going to insulate it somehow to keep the, the crew from, you know, radiation poisoning. Um, Oh, even, I mean, even the computers too, right? Like, I mean, I guess we have, we have hardened, space hardened, um, satellites out there that are in like geosynchronous orbit, but yeah, it's, it, it's harsh. It definitely is. Um, <laughs> the, the moon is a harsh mistress, Caleb, one of as, the, as is Mars. Yeah. One of, one of the things that I found really fascinating too, is his, his idea of scale for this. So, um, basically he thinks this current ship, which is about the size of the Saturn V, which is massive, uh, will hold about 100 people. Uh, and that... Well, he did specify that that's at the comfortable two to three people per per cabin, but you could really get to five or six if you wanted well, to. Well, and there may be other configurations for shorter distances, um, but that, yeah, for going to Mars, it could take between three to six months. There were all sorts of odd pauses and caveats in his presentation, but I, mean, I guess we don't have to dissect the weird Elon cadence. Yeah, I thought I, he he seemed very nervous in the beginning and quite shooken up, and yeah, he had a, he had a lot more stutteringness. He kind of reverted back to earlier Elon in in yeah. the, the past. And it seemed the like the slides one. weren't quite working. Well, properly I don't know why he didn't use the clicker himself. Someone well, I think else he was trying to, but it wasn't quite working. No, no, no. I think there was nothing in his hands, and someone else was doing it because then he was saying next slide, and I don't think he had anything in his hands oh and the last year he used a clicker and it was great so i don't know why he didn't have a clicker for advancing the slides but it was not a good good thing and he's done that (laughs) at some of the tesla events too where he doesn't have this the clicker and he starts going off and then they do big reveals behind him and it's extremely (laughs) anticlimactic And he's like, yeah. oh, oh, yeah, there it is. Um, I mean, I, I guess I appreciate it. Maybe it's like the 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 ethos is like, you know, hey, we're working so hard on actually doing things. We don't have time to work on the presentation. Yeah, but I think there's something to be said for putting some time into the presentation. Well, also Apple can do both. Well, sidebar on that. Also, like he, the the visualizations were incredible. Whoever yeah. they have doing the CG, the CGI for this stuff, if it's a movie studio or someone internally, incredibly good. I mean, I was. You'd be hard pressed to think that some of that stuff wasn't uh, like real, 
Or yeah, the 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 Mars like as they went and expanded the colony, it literally looked like Sim Mars. Right, like it was it was Sim City on Mars, and you were just building new neighborhoods and connecting them together. But some of the some of the uh, like perspective views of the Moon and on Mars with the the base and the rover and like the lights and the haze, it was just incredibly good concept art that was almost like photorealistic didn't they didn't spacex was was one of the companies working with do you remember the like last year they had the mars miniseries on um like the national National geographic Geographic, right yeah the national geographic which i mean i guess we can get into i thought that was really weird in that the way it was presented was really odd, but I, I mean, the, the production values were really high and I think SpaceX was one of the companies and there was certainly an Elon Musk type character yeah. who was, who was the billionaire running it. Um, but yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I guess we can get, in, maybe get into the weirdness of that about how making it a drama was kind of weird choice for something that's supposed to be aspirational, but yeah. Like, let's all go to Mars and be optimistic about it. And here's all the horrible things that can go wrong. It's like, yeah, it was, okay. Yeah, I feel like that is a an easy trope of just like oh, let's just document all the terrible things that happen. Um, well, it's like yeah, it was it, it was it wanted to be kind of like Nova and a movie, uh, yeah. a blockbuster at the same yeah, time. Yeah. But yeah, it's hard to do both. So, anyways, all right. But I think SpaceX was involved there because I, I they were because like they showed some of the I think one of the, some of the early footage of him of the, of uh, the rocket landing. Right, right. Coming right, back because yeah. they were there when they were filming it. Um, okay. So, sorry. Uh, the ship is going to be big, uh, about 100 people in the pressurized part. Uh, it also is going to have to carry a lot of cargo. And th- that, when he was talking about cargo, I was like, oh, okay, how much cargo? Like, uh, I don't know, a couple tons. And it's like 50 tons, maybe, 70 tons of cargo. And it's like, what the what is all That's that stuff? That's a lot of iPhones. Right. And it's not that. It's like, um, yeah, so if you're going to build like a, an iron forge, an iron, uh, you know, factory, you kind of need to bring a lot of that stuff with you. Well, you have to bring everything with you, right? Well, that's like, the you, thing. I mean, absolutely yeah. everything. You just imagine how much, like how much does a skyscraper weigh? And it's like, well... That's huge. And you're obviously not going to build a skyscraper, but it's like all the tools and all the... Cruise ship, I guess. A cruise ship that has to make its own oxygen. Everything you need to create uh, iron and to create electron... I mean, it's it's so incredible to imagine, okay, here's some raw land and you have to bring everything through like this little straw, if it was like on Earth. And... uh, I mean, it's daunting. It's the... I mean, there was... We create uh, everything. You get no supply chain. There's nothing. You... It, you you either have to bring the machines or build the machines, and it's going to be like we're in de- creating the industrial revolution from scratch again. It's just it's mind boggling how much stuff you have to bring. Right. Well, and it's it, the industrial revolution and the all the environment around it. There was a um, man. What was the the last um, Kim Stanley Robinson novel? Um, Aurora, I think it was called, was the, they had this, it was this multi-generation, it was about a a multi-generational spaceship to a star, right? Like, so humanity puts people on this rocket and launches them or spaceship and launches them out. And there's this whole idea of like, you know, no one on the spaceship's actually going to make it to the star, right? It's going to be their great, 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 great grandkids. Mm. And, and, you know, you have this whole series of, of humanity reproducing and, and, propagating on the spaceship but anyways the the idea is that or one of the themes is is like 
you know, humans, maybe humans aren't actually meant to go out in the stars. Like we are, we're a biological creature and we're so tightly bound to the ecosystem here on earth. Like with all of the, you know, we're just learning, even still learning all about all the different like microbiome and the, all these like microbes and everything that we need to survive and to actually get out into the harsh realities of space. It's not just like we have to have oxygen and water, right? Like we have to have like we have to bring we have to basically recreate earth somewhere else so mm-hmm. that we can survive because we as a species have evolved to live on earth and if we want to live somewhere else we have to basically bring earth with us and, and i don't know it's kind of it's a little bit sobering i mean there, also the, the, the he also wrote a bunch of stuff about mars earlier in the 80s but anyways it's it's uh yeah it's a little sobering well i you know very practically uh, going camping, you're like, oh, I brought a lot of stuff, <laughs> and your trunk is pretty full. And then you, and un- you're a glamper, not a camper. Right. And I mean, I've gone camping every once in a while, but you, you're like, oh, so much crap. And then you unpack yeah. it, and it's like, oh, the campsite's pretty empty. And then you're like, oh, you know what? I forgot the can opener. And you're like, well, no can opener. We're gonna get. You use the axe to open this can. And it's like every. <laughs> so it's like that, but with breathing. Like that, but with breathing. Yeah. And uh, you know, or you gotta wait like two little... years for more stuff to arrive. I'm like, oh, yeah. Let's phone. Let's uh, let's ask them for you know a crescent wrench. <laughs> two two years till it shows up. So <laughs> there's no IKEA nearby. No. no Home Depot. No IKEA. No little uh, seven. No hospital. No Seven Eleven. Can't get another no waterworks. Can't get another iPad battery. You know, no Genius Bar. Yeah, I mean, I think it, yeah, I, it's I mean, I not gonna going to be a city to begin with. And this was the other thing he right. mentioned is like, uh, in his view, a self-sustaining. So there's a difference between like a scientific outpost, which is like Antarctica and the poles. Like we have scientific outposts in these crazy extreme places clearly not the same as mars but we do have these outposts but there aren't cities we've tried to simulate some mars ones too right in hawaii yeah yeah and and they're not they're not cities uh because you've got like maybe 10 20 people max so in his view you need to get to a million people uh before you could really consider a self-sustaining city and eventually you know turn into its own planet uh you know uh, on its own sort of earth too yeah, but it, I mean, it's interesting how he's putting the people, I mean, I guess it's it's a balance, right? Where you, there's been a lot of plans where, and, and, and kind of thought out ideas where you actually will send a bunch of stuff to Mars and you'll send, have robots start like preparing it for the humans and then eventually the humans go. And that's probably, I mean, if you think about it, it's probably the most practical way to do it. But I think there's this sort of, human factor of actually sending these brave explorers first that kind of inspires people yeah the pioneers right right and it creates this sort of like uh, it's probably something where if you were just a a master ai that was actually like planning everything out and figuring the best way to do it you wouldn't do it this way but we've got this human effect where we need to actually inspire humans to either volunteer themselves or dedicate the resources to pursuing this dream and it's it's more of a almost political operation at that point yeah and i think that's one of the other things that sometimes maybe the critics of this plan over the past year have been pointing at it's like well if i'm 50 years old i can't go on this trip so this isn't a real thing and elon even said in the presentation last year that he expects it will because it you can only go every two years because of the way that Mars and Earth uh, sync up in our orbits. Uh, to have the shortest distance only happens every 26 uh, months. And if you were to put 100 people per ship, that would be 10,000 trips. 
uh, to get to a million people, assuming there's no reproduction on Mars. Um, <laughs> it's probably not a good assumption, but yeah, okay. Right. Um, so that's a lot of trips, and he expects that that might take, uh, even if you got to a thousand ships, uh, 40 to 100 years to get to, from the first person being there to a million. So we're talking from like potentially 75, 100 years before you get to a million. So I'm yeah. betting the technology is going to improve quite a bit in those 100 years, and our life support systems and all those uh, will improve such that the, uh, you know, one millionth person who goes from Earth to Mars will have quite a different experience. Uh, the same way that uh, the very first people who came out to California or the very first people who came on steamships to the New World or, sorry, wooden ships on things like the Mayflower. The first white, first white people. Sorry, yeah. sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> no, yes. Uh, very, very white-centric uh, history taught on the East Coast. Um <laughs> Uh, that, that, yeah, that, uh, people who come now on airplanes, quite a different experience than being on a, you know, a steerage for six months on a boat. Um, yeah. And I think as a sustainable thing too, like if you have a bunch of robots that have been sent there and are, you know, working away to build out the infrastructure for humans to arrive, it's probably a lot easier for people to say, to be bored with it and say, well, what's going on and let's just abandon this. But if you have actual like human pioneers that have been like blasted out to Mars, then as a, you know, society of humans, we're probably more likely to do whatever we need to do to keep building that out. Cause there are people there like, you know, we'll, we'll, these people will probably be famous at this yeah. point. And, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a lot more self-sustaining if there are like, you know, actual lives hanging in the balance than if it was just a kind of very rational, uh, you know, plan taking place. I mean, I remember I was, I was still pretty young, but when anytime a space shuttle launch happened, I knew who was on the space shuttle and yeah. uh, they were, you know, doing scientific missions, but you know, you knew who they were. And I don't think I know all the names of the, I don't know all the names of the people who are on the space station right now because they weren't launched from the U S and so we don't celebrate those folks as much as we should, um, because we don't see the launch and there's something very powerful about the launch. And you got to imagine, uh, their social media accounts are going to be some of the most popular. I mean, yeah. photos from Mars every day of setting up, you know, the solar panels and all that are going to be it's just going to be so exciting that even the very first people um, who are really doing a lot of the, the brunt work of getting just a very, very basic sort of uh, hab set up are going to be incredibly famous and people are going to be excited to be the next batch to go work with them and, you know, be with them for the next few years and then relieve them and they can come back and... So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited just looking at the, the adventures of the robots that we have on Mars right now. Right. So, exactly. You know, I, yeah. Those are pretty popular Instagram accounts and uh, Twitter accounts. Um, well, and they're so spunky, right? They're going way beyond their, their life cycle date. They're still rolling. The, one of them's got a broken leg that he's dragging around and it's, it's hard. I mean, I, I just personified them right there. It's, it's hard not to get excited about it. So, you know, having an actual like outpost of, of humans out there would be, I mean, you know, unless it, you know, descends into like the Donner party or something and they start eating each other. But, you know, other than that, it would be pretty amazing. Luckily, space ice cream is quite uh, lightweight. Uh, <laughs> we can load them up with non-dairy creamer. Um, we can so, get it right at fries. So you had brought up a really good point um, before we recorded about um, the, le the legal aspects of all this. Because, oh, I was so curious about that. Yeah. Yeah, because 
we we haven't had that many instances when you would need to create case law for uh, Elon. Are you going to be the king of Mars? Uh, <laughs> does Elon own Mars if he's the first one to plant the SpaceX flag? So what what were you able to find out about uh, who owns Mars and could you own Mars? So apparently the uh, United, I guess through the United Nations, um, a lot of most of the, the major countries on Earth have signed up to something called the Outer Space Treaty, I think in the 60s, was it? Yeah, not, very interestingly, 1967, which, you know, in preparation before we land on the, on the moon to really, you know, set the rules for what's about to happen. It makes you wonder if the U.S. would have signed it if they had already landed there. Right. <laughs> well, you know, when, when no one had landed, sure, but I guess we're yeah, getting it's into some game theory we're, here. Yeah, exactly. We're afraid the Russians might land there first. <laughs> but yeah, so apparently, like, uh, all, like, you know, non-Earth celestial bodies are considered property of everyone. And I, I guess this is similar to how we, we deal with Antarctica, too, where... You know, it's, it's, you know, no one can claim it. It's, it's international waters. Right, right. Like, yeah, like international waters. And, and I guess the, um, so no one can claim the land for themselves. It belongs to everyone, uh, wherever you land. And then as far as the, the other aspect of it is whose laws will apply. Like, you know, okay, I can't own this land, but you know, can I kill you if I'm standing on it? Uh, because I want your space ice cream that i'm hungry for <laughs> and i've i've eaten all of mine um so yeah the the answer is uh, that you know whoever whatever country launched it your laws would apply like much like in international waters and then if the victim is from another country i guess then like their laws would apply beyond that i, I think there's like a cascading effect uh but yeah I'm, I'm definitely getting out of my element here but the answer is that people have thought about it and as an abstract concept, we've all agreed that it belongs to everyone and our original laws will apply. But as we, we have explored countless times through sci-fi, uh, that might not end up holding as actual people get out there and the sort of, you know, the metal hits the road, I guess, and there's no such thing as a free lunch. And uh, yeah, then people start fighting over scarce resources. Who knows what will happen? Right. And, I, you know, I'm just sort of reminded of, uh, you know, the United States did a lot of work uh, in the 1800s to get people to come out west and promising them 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 acres of land per person, per able-bodied man uh, to come out west. And obviously the U.S. had more jurisdiction to do that uh, in its own area. But the idea that you're going to go to Mars and not sort of <clears throat> own the land that you're working on at some point seems unlikely. Because um, right, like who owns the resources that you're pulling out of the land, right? Like, you know, right. if you don't, you might not be able to own the land, but do you own the iron ore that you pulled out or the water that you pulled out? Um, it's so much uh sci-fi has been built around like you know water rights and because apparently water is going to be the thing that everyone cares about uh in space right because you it's the one thing that you need to live the one one carve out they had was that if you bring a space object you do retain the jurisdiction and control of the object you bring and that that state is liable for damages caused by their space object so like uh, a moon rock well or um, no what i'm thinking is if you bring a spaceship to mars then anything that happens on that spaceship is your domain and also, if you were to build like a habitat, then anything that happens within that habitat, you might be able to extend that to say that that's your uh, right. So you could potentially stop people from coming into your habitat. So what might happen is you might have different landing sites for different countries uh, oh, to sort surely. of keep things 
and not from commingling for a little while. The uh, the really disturbing thing is how many of these different sci-fi extrapolations of life on Mars result in Mars rebelling against the Earth and forming its own uh, independent colony uh like you know whether you get into mars congressional republic or any of these like you know the martians the earth the earthlings are not listening to us the terrans are ignoring Mm -hmm. us and mars becomes its own thing and uh humanity descends into tribalism and fractionalism uh factionalism once again i mean we've done that no taxation without representation ourselves i mean what exactly why would why would martians vote uh our our earth martians vote in the u.s elections (laughs) the british are looking at this like of course that's gonna happen yeah (laughs) look what what happened with the colonies and also the people who go to mars may be quietly uh quite highly predisposed to want to not be part of what's happening on earth Um, yeah so it's fraught with peril yeah so when is this going to happen so last year the timeline was uh basically they were going to start working on the structure and the propulsion and have that finished by 20 the end of 2018 oh and what are they calling it what did what did he call it so he used to call it the um uh interplanetary uh transport system its uh it's and then he's now renamed it to bfr which I believe stands for Big Phallic Rocket. No, Big <laughs> Blanking Rocket. Um, and I, it, I think it could be Falcon uh, in the PG version, but uh, I think I, I think it's the freaking uh, version. Um, That's yeah, a little bit of uh, childish humor in there. Once again, you know, you can't can't take that out of Elon's uh, naming systems. Um, <laughs> sexy forever. Um, so they wanted to start testing the ships in 2018, uh, the end of 2018, and then booster testing mid-2019, and then orbital testing in 2020, and the first Mars flight end of 2022, and then the next Mars flight end of 2024. And uh, it, NASA has a... or the european space age one someone has a big mars mission schedule for the 2020 window don't they yeah 2020 is a new curiosity style rover oh um, right right yeah the big one it's gonna be like yeah, the size it's gonna of be a much, car much larger yeah 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 um and then they plan to um keep going and then eventually in the 2030s have people so elon is uh optimistically saying humans by 2024 so the plan is two of these bfrs would go in 2022 and bring cargo um, and uh, what's needed to sort of set up uh, the landing base and whatnot and bring a lot of the stuff <clears throat> that the, the people are going to need for the very first mission. And then and 20- these would be uncrewed, right? They would, they would be completely automated? Yeah, the first two would be un, unmanned, uh, automated, um, exactly. And then the 2024 would be four ships, two with cargo and two with crew. And they would, the goal would be to set up the propellant plant so they could bring the ships back because those first two would not come back uh, yet. They would be there for two years. So congratulations. You've, you're going to Mars and your reward is you get to work in a propellant factory. You, yeah, you have to build a propellant plant and then build up the initial base for expansion. Um, and yeah, so <laughs> I, I think he, he said these are certainly optimistic. He's not generally very good at targets, um, but but he's like five years is quite a lot of time. And it is shocking to hear him say something's optimistic, which means it must be really optimistic. Right. A lot of times he'll say, I'm extremely confident we can do this, and he still misses it. So, um, 
But so, okay. So all of the stuff that he's got going on here, this sounds, he's the lead designer of SpaceX. He's the CEO of SpaceX. Like, what do you think this means for Tesla? Like, how, is he still going to be doing Tesla stuff in all of this? Or this sounds like a, a more than a full-time job over the next three, four years. Yeah. So I think what in the last presentation uh, a year ago, this was presented as this is something SpaceX uh, wants to do. Um, we have these targets for the 2020s, but we're not yet sure how we're going to pay for it. And if you don't know how to pay for something, it's quite unlikely to happen. Uh, and so it, last year, I sort of took it as Elon being Elon, trying to inspire people. And really, you know, it's like, how do you get people, to, the best people in the world to come work for you if what you actually do is launch satellites? Right. Like launching satellites is not that interesting actually. But if you're launching satellites to eventually bring humans to Mars, that's different, I think. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's interesting but not inspirational. Right, cuz the people and getting who, to Mars is inspirational. Right. Yeah. And so the, the I sort of saw last year as like pub on a public stage uh sharing what the mission for like the, the big mission for SpaceX was. This year was different. This year, they talked about how they, they, they figured out how they want to pay for this. And we haven't talked about it yet. And th I think this is actually <laughs> sort of the most interesting and important parts of this process. So this year, they made the rocket a little smaller, has fewer engines, it has less thrust, it can carry less payload, can still bring about 100 people. So they sort of downscaled the ambition of the actual rocket. And that's unusual for Elon. Uh, to go a year and scale back ambition. Uh, usually it's, you know, ambition is scaled up with him over time. So that was curious um, that it sort of indicates a engineering, uh, engineering got more time on this and uh, <laughs> scaled it back a little bit to, to reality. Um, usually you get some hop-ons. Right. Usually you get hop-ons. Uh, but if you're really driving towards making something happen, you take your sort of audacious plan and you start chopping uh, and, and bringing reality into it. Um, and the other big thing he was saying was th they've been developing the, the Falcon 1, the Falcon 9, the Falcon Heavy, Dragon, Dragon 2, Red Dragon, which is going to take people to Mars. And then they had this sort of side thing of this Mars, you know, interstellar, sorry, the uh, in, um, interplanetary uh, transportation system, I guess. <laughs> ITS, yeah. It's so not a good I name. I incepted you with interstellar. It's, yeah, it's not a good name. Um, and so it was sort of two tracks. And this year, what he decided to, or he said they figured out, is that they actually are going to create one track. So they're going to retire their existing products as fast as they possibly can and move all of their programs, all the satellite launches, all of the refuelings uh, and, and sort of resupply missions for the International Space Station, anything that they want to do with tourism around Mars, uh, around the moon, which they've already said they're going to do some, you know, private <laughs> flights around the moon for a lot of money um, and anything they do with their own satellite system uh, and some potential Earth-based transportation, which we'll get to that it's all going to be moved to this BFR platform. So they're consolidating down to one SKU. They're one SKU that will handle everything. And it's basically like, instead of having a 737, a little prop plane, you're like, every flight we fly is going to be on our biggest A380 or the Dreamliner. 
and we're just going to push everything into this one product. And that one product clearly can handle everything. And by making all of our products 100% reusable because we're using this BFR, the actual cost per launch should go down. Yeah, his point was that the fuel is pretty cheap if they're making it, right? Because it's being made. And if it's all oxygen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The fuel for this is oxygen. So the uh, expendable costs are the oxygen, uh, the cost of the people's time for the launching process, and the slight refurbishment that will eventually go down to being quite low, especially for um, the spaceship part, if it's only going in like Earth activities. If it's going to Mars, it's going to have a lot more uh, solar attack. <laughs> but if it's staying within our low Earth or low Earth orbit, um, you know, refurbishing it isn't as intense. Yeah, I think they they kind of glazed over a little bit about the sort of wear and tear it might uh, encounter. There's it, it's one thing to launch it and and land it again, but then to say we can do that a thousand times, it's slightly a, a different thing. But I, I guess they're saying they'll get to that. Yeah, they. I think he was saying that they want to get to like a thousand uses per booster. Um, and then they think that the ships, when they're in their full Mars configuration, will only get 12 to 15 uses. Because if you imagine it might last like 30 years, um, you've got two years at least each way. Or sorry, yeah, before you, like two years um, uh, in between. So then you get like 15 uses. Um, yeah. So the tanker... Yeah, the, when he got into the like the launches per day that they would need to do too, that was, that was pretty interesting. Right, which also is like... In, kind of insane for people because right now the, there's only 60 uh, orbital launches per year and next year uh, t- uh, SpaceX will be doing about 30, maybe 50. So they're going to be doing a massive amount of the uh, total worldwide launches through SpaceX. So their cadence has increased quite um, dramatically. And so what this means for Tesla to your question is this makes me think that he's moved his dream from this distant vision of what SpaceX could do to I think he believes there's actually a path to have this happen on these time horizons. And uh, I think he's probably going to be devoting more of his time to SpaceX than he has been. Because if this was like a 5% R&D project and you still have to do Falcon Heavy in, in the next version of Falcon, then it's business as usual. But if you've now figured out well, everything we do is going to be technology and research on the platform that will eventually take us to Mars, then that's a different proposition. Um, Because everything you do to make that ship better and that technology come faster, you've accelerated your timeline to get to Mars. And that's what he wants to do. So are we supposed to read into that, that he's... Tesla has gotten to the point where, you know, he just needs like a sort of a, a Tim Cook or a Sheryl Sandberg to kind of take over operations and and make it keep going? Or has he gotten to the point where uh, his his efforts to build a sustainable energy future for the Earth just aren't looking all that great and we need a plan B? No, I, th- I think it's more that he may want to devote more time to SpaceX, even though Tesla will continue to do good things. And that, uh, yeah, the boring parts of his job at Tesla as CEO, maybe things he wants to push off to someone else. And he has that at SpaceX, where he has uh, Gwen Shotwell, who's the COO, who basically runs day-to-day operations there. And he is the chief product designer, basically, as you said. Um, So I think eventually he will take that same role at Tesla. He will have someone else be the COO and um, uh, basically run the core operations and uh, similar to sort of what Steve Jobs had at Pixar, sort of be the 
uh, an inspirational person and involved in product decisions, <laughs> but not the day-to-day person. Um, so I think probably once Model 3 and Model Y get out, I think it's very likely that once they start launching things to Mars, he might, you know, go more 50-50 instead of... He's, he currently devotes more time to Tesla than SpaceX from every interview he's given. Maybe they just skip the Y and go to the BFY. Yeah, well, that, that was the other thing is like, hmm, if he's just been getting this religion on a single product to rule them all, uh, then the Tesla Tesla's sort of interesting and now they're getting more and more product lines. Um, well, it, it's living with humans, right? And human right, desires. I think that's, that's, yeah, that's the challenge is that there's people have different needs for their vehicles today. Or and, perce- uh, at least perceived needs, but yeah. Yeah, that too. Um, so I guess some the, the kind of final things that I want to touch on before we hit the last pieces. Um, <laughs> We're closing in on like an hour and a half here. I so. know, I know, I know. We, I don't I know. Um, Let's bring this Falcon in for a landing. We'll, we'll bring it in. Um, All right. I, I felt like this entire presentation was extremely inspiring and exciting and it felt more tangible and real that than ever before that this is really going to happen did it feel inspiring based on the content or the presentation like oh, the i feel content. like i feel the like content. they kind of shot them the themselves in the foot a little bit with the presentation like they could have actually made this so much more like i could see this running on like you know excerpts of this on like the nightly news or something if it were a better presentation yeah i think you're right i think many people will never see this and yet this will be remembered as a very important presentation uh potentially for history um because it actually outlines what was going to happen. And I don't think they did a good enough job to get a lot of people excited. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think it's, I think maybe it's crossed a couple hundred thousand views, but it's not like 10 million views. And I think it's sort of of the, the message of this should be every person should at least have watched 10 or 15 minutes of this thing or seen a summary of it. And I don't think many people will. It's just so profound. I mean, I, I, I just can't think of many other things that are as profound as saying, I believe we have a plan to build a colony on Mars and we're going to do it. And I believe I know how to pay for it by these operations we're already doing. That's yeah. just incredible. And then you go and, you know, tomorrow go to work and read news of companies, you know, doing things with you know dog walking or whatever and it's fine <laughs> well it's not but, even that it's a, i don't know i feel like just as a society we're not very optimistic right now everything is very you know nihilistic and and cynical and and we we've kind of lost that that optimistic dream and i guess my i'm not necessarily saying that you know that uh, a solid plan is not a good plan because it wasn't presented well but that like to expand out the beyond the people who are going to look at the nuts and bolts of the plan, it needs to be a little more JFK aspirational, I guess. And, uh, and yeah, just, I guess I'm just hoping that we can turn our society around here and then kind of get everyone a little more optimistic and hopeful. I do think they have the capability of captivating people. I think Tesla certainly does a better job of captivating a larger audience. Um, and so I, I don't think it's outside of his skill set. Um, so I, that's one. Secondly, I think once you actually see, if once they build this rocket and launch it, I think that's going to be a huge event. People seeing this huge rocket and the superlatives around it, the biggest rocket ever built will be quite uh, awe-inspiring. And as soon as they put a person on that, 
it, everyone will be watching that uh, that launch. So I think it will come in time. So I'm not. I don't think this uh, hurts the possibility of it, and I don't think he was waiting on public response to validate whether or not they should go forward. Um, sure, sure. It's early days. Yeah, and and so then the last two things. One, he also showed off a, a moon base. So you know, if we're going to go to Mars. Uh, you know, a, a step before that to test everything is doing something on the moon. So. It's sort of the MVP for Mars is doing something on 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 the moon, and uh, NASA wants to do a lot of stuff with the moon. Uh, Mike Pence, the vice president here in the U.S. right now, uh, likes the moon, uh, wants to do stuff on the moon, and the space program has some plans to do things on the moon. So one of the big funding sources for SpaceX is well, one of the big customers of SpaceX is NASA, and so uh, SpaceX tries to, to strategically make sure they can fulfill the needs of NASA so that they don't have to build their own projects. Um, so there, there might be some moon work happening before for, before Mars or in parallel with Mars. Um, right. Well, and to launch things from Mars from the moon, you don't need the booster stage, right? Like I think the right there was this is something about like the vehicle can because the gravity is so low, you can actually just launch yourself from the moon without the booster stage, so the the ship can just launch itself as is. Yep, and the atmosphere is uh, so much less too, so you don't have uh, as much uh, drag from the atmosphere. Uh, also. Um, and so you can also do that from Mars. So yeah, you the 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 ship, the spaceship itself will be blasting off from other planets. Uh, it really needs the booster on Earth and some of the other super large planets that we might probably never explore, but we could. Um, Stupid gravity. Yeah. Uh, the the last thing I wanted to touch on before we end was this final sort of mic drop thing he did where. He was like, um, so if we can go to Mars and we can go to the moon, you know, we might as well go anywhere else on Earth in, you know, under 30 minutes. Uh, watch this. That's kind of interesting. So then he played a video, and this was one of the most produced videos of the night of uh, these people walking along a dock in New York City, uh, seeing a little sign saying, you know, boarding for, I think it was Shanghai. Um, and they get on the, the BFR on this gantry, sort of like loading on a cruise ship, but it's a huge rocket. And then it blasts off from a barge, uh, like 20 miles off of New York city. And then it goes up into low earth orbit, uh, flying around. And then it comes and lands in, in Shanghai, uh, 39 minutes later and showed all these other cities and how much time it would take. And basically the, the headline is most flights would be less than 30 minutes anywhere on earth and anywhere, any flight, any place you want to go point to point would be under 60 minutes. And then he walked off stage. It, it was like he had hinted at this last year as one way they might pay for the whole project as well. But it was interesting to me that this got the most attention, I think, in the, in the general press of the entire presentation was this idea that you could get anywhere on earth in under 60 minutes and it that part was just like this might be the way i actually get to fly in one of these things which would be pretty uh, fun you think so i thought this i was completely i actually wish they hadn't put it in there because oh, as really? soon as i saw it i'm like that's ridiculous oh well because like i instantly thought of like I, I all i could think of was the first thing i thought of was okay so we he already explained that you know the only reason we're burning fuels is because we it's the only way to get out of the earth orbit to get to mars but that actually that explanation goes out the window because going point to point on earth you don't need to burn fuels like you're so you're killing your sustainable uh, energy thing. The idea of being able to load and unload these things quickly just seemed ridiculous. Like it's going to take so long to get out to this location and get on there 
the <laughs> you're going to have to be way further than than you thought you would than the video is showing from these populated locations if you're going to be blasting a rocket up over them both for safety and for noise reasons i mean there's not going to be a rocket launching next to the statue of liberty in in the you know outside of manhattan mm. i mean that's that's absurd and then like you've got to deal with all of the radiation that you're going to be you already have to worry about the radiation you get if you take a, a flight that goes over the north pole and now you're going to be going into freaking low earth orbit to come down like the whole thing just seemed like a it seemed like they they put everything together and then thought oh you know it would be neat oh yeah and it was like the last sort of thing that was tacked on and hasn't actually gone through all the process of why this is not a good idea and and kind of even violates some of the core precepts of tesla of like a sustainable energy future like you know you, why would you actually like be burning all of this methane to get from point a to point b when you could be taking a high speed you know electric train that might be running on tesla batteries yeah i i hear you on all of those points sorry i might have gotten on my soapbox no, right there you. but i was just like why did why was this in there it was it was so it was like just this complete left turn and uh it it made me sad. Oh, uh, so I I don't think the the sustainability piece <laughs> didn't hit me because they can do it sustainably on Earth with solar panels and pulling the, the uh, yeah. But you're still burning methane. Yeah, but it doesn't so matter like if you pull you, it out of the Earth. It's a net zero. It doesn't impact anything. If you're if you're making the the fuel yourself and then burning it, it doesn't it doesn't matter. It's like a tree. It pulls carbon uh, carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and then it releases it when you burn it. So burning trees yeah, doesn't really make a difference it's the crazy dinosaur fossils that we've burned that basically have been <laughs> sequestered for too long and so it's not really part of the natural atmosphere anyways they also they also didn't address the fact that you know you, you get on a plane and you open up your computer and you put your laptop down and you start working like what is this going to be like you're going to be blasting off of an enormous rocket you're going to people are going to be passing out i mean i did some research so he tweeted about it afterwards he said the price people were like the price is going to be insane he said the price should work out to being about the price of the full fare economy to wherever you were going. So like a couple thousand dollars kind of max. Um, and then he also said, people asked about the G's, uh, and he said, it'd probably be assuming a max acceleration of two to three G's, but in a comfortable direction. We'll feel like a mild to moderate amusement park ride on ascent and then smooth, peaceful, and silent in zero gravity for most of the trip until landing. So, yes, sure, I mean, I, I was wondering, are they going to put a bathroom on this thing? Because... <laughs> They're going to have to be strapped in. They, they're not going to, I mean, yeah. if, if people have a hard, if regular flight attendants have a hard time keeping people in their seats with like a basic seatbelt, there's no way a five point harness that's going to keep you safe is going to be able to deal with this one. And then also how are you going to clear your health for this? Like you can't let certain people of certain ages go on this thing. Yeah. I mean, just having like slight blood pressure problems would you, you could pass out or so, die. Yeah. So then the two to three G's to validate that I was like, okay, let me check. So the Hulk. A roller coaster at Islands of Adventure pulls uh, at its peak 4.5 Gs, but only for a couple, like a second, because it's in an inversion. And then the Aerosmith coaster at Disney does 4.5. Uh, Space Mountain, which I think a lot of people know, and it's not an upside down ride, but it does 3.5. So that would be past what he's saying. So the best one I could find that was in between was 2.5. So in between two and three was Big Thunder Mountain, which is a steel roller coaster at Disney, Disneyland. Um, but 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 that usually only happens for a second or two some of those like right, not for like 15 minutes 
Well, it wouldn't be 15 minutes. It would just be the acceleration to maximum velocity, which would be that first 20 or 30 seconds. But having three or four Gs for 30 se- or 20 or 30 seconds is pretty intense. Is that only going to take you that long to get out of the atmosphere? Yes. Think about, think about on those SpaceX launches when they say they hit max Q, which is the maximum uh, aerodynamic pressure. I feel pressure. like the, the rocket keeps burning for quite a while, for minutes. Yeah, but it doesn't, doesn't it? keep accelerating. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It hits it hits a maximum speed and then it adjusts its uh its direction, but it's not accelerating at that point. It still has to fight gravity, but it's not accelerating. And when you watch, so I guess at that at that point you're you're in almost like low G orbit. Well, right? yeah, you would so, you, you know? would basically be sort of floating in your in your seat. Anyways, I just I just sort of thought. I mean, he, Elon loves like crazy transportation, right? So he's got Hyperloop now, he's got the boring company under us, and now he's got rockets flying over us. I, I, Don't get me started on Hyperloop. I would bet that the likelihood of this happening before a human is on Mars is, I, I, I think it's more likely we have a human on Mars before you have a passenger doing this because of the, because of the regulation. Yeah. It's almost funny, but I think getting someone in the space will be less regulation and less red tape than trying to fly one of these even between oh, two yeah. I mean, friendly you countries even fly the the concord had you couldn't even right. fly the concord yeah. over land because of the sonic booms i mean it's it's crazy yeah so uh, but but i do like the ambitious nature of if we have rockets why aren't we using them to get anywhere really fast because the idea the the scientific kind of ideal of if you want to go to tokyo it's 30 minutes that is just incredible i mean Right, but the problem is the you, the places that you can launch rocket from rockets from are necessarily very far from population centers, and the places that people want to travel from are obviously the population centers. So it's like, who's gonna? No one's gonna. No one's gonna go to Kazakhstan to take a take a flight to Tokyo. I'm just saying, I mean, twenty miles. He thinks twenty to thirty miles off the coast is enough, uh, because because clearly people deal with this at, at Cape Canaveral. I mean, they deal with yeah, but rocket that's booms. Florida. Who cares about Florida? I'm just saying it clearly isn't <laughs> ruining that part of uh, the country. Well, that's only because it's already ruined. All right. Before we offend right, everyone who lives in Cape Canaveral. I, I kid, I kid. I think we'll probably have to do some more about this at some point in the future. But any closing uh, feelings? What was your overall reaction to to this last presentation and art? I, I think it's it's something that I think we need as a as a society and a species. We need some sort of... I think if anything we we've been seeing recently is we we are a little bit uh adrift i guess and we need some sort of like anything we can do for like common goals and, mm-hmm. and i feel like you know the when we don't have these like big common goals and 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 overarching like dreams we end up focusing on little things that differentiate us and we end up fighting each other and you know doing stuff that in the big picture really doesn't matter. And what we should be doing is focusing on our, you know, existence as all humans and what can we do for humans? And, uh, and yeah, I think this is one thing where we can do that. I think we probably need to work on the messaging a little bit more to, to get average people or non, you know, technical people or people who have like, you know, someone who has like a difficult life, who's fighting to pay the bills. Why would they care about this? Um, I think in the, in the, 60s it was the cold war and the space race and everyone was was you know captivated by it and we probably have a little bit more work to do but i feel like this is a step in the right direction and if we can all get sort of excited about something constructive then that would be wonderful what do you think yeah i mean i i now have even more belief and the mental picture that there will be people 
on Mars, potentially in my lifetime, if things go well uh, for for SpaceX and for me. Um, <laughs> and, and for the Martians. And for the Martians. And so that I don't, 10 years ago, I wasn't expecting that was going to happen. I wasn't imagining that we were going to have people on Mars uh, in my lifetime. And it may still not happen, but I think it is certainly more real now. I mean, the fact that they've uh, gone out for tooling for uh, the, the tanks and they've started construction on the facility that's going to build this thing and that this is going to be like they're going to be sh- launching this rocket before it's trying to go to Mars makes me much more confident that even if it takes twice as long as they expect 10 years instead of five years, it, it will happen. And Elon has said he's going to devote all as, as much of his resource as possible to making this happen. And the reason he's accumulating assets is to invest them in this. So even if SpaceX's roster of launches doesn't cover it, he's got 30 to $40 billion worth of Tesla stock he could sell <laughs> to fund these missions and fund the, you know, the development. So, well, and if they build a rocket with enough capacity, they could just like steal a little bit of capacity on each launch that they're doing for other people and little by little build up their, their rocket in space. Well, they're going to be, yeah, exactly. He said every launch window from now on out, they plan to be sending something to Mars. So every, I mean, it's just, it's going to be exciting that there's going to be a mission to Mars every 26 months and, and you're going to be able to watch it and see what happens. And, um, yeah, that'll be, it's interesting to see how that, how that gets packaged for the current generation. Like, you know, is there, are they Snapchatting from there? Is there a YouTube live stream going on? Like, how can you uh, kind of package this whole thing to make it interesting for everyone, uh, you know, beaming into classrooms around, um, yeah. and then also making it interesting to kind of pop culture at large without making it, you know, tawdry and ridiculous. I think they have to have a website where you can track the progress along that six month journey. Yeah. Where is it right now? Maybe and they can also do like fun. karaoke too, and, and they can sing songs <laughs> among the, you know, astronauts. What can they sing? Can they sing things? Let's find out. Nice. All right. Um, so before we end, uh, if you are planning to buy an SRX to support Elon in his, uh, give him a little cash to, uh, to fund this process. <laughs> Get him uh, to grow can, his potatoes on Mars. Yes, you can uh, use the uh, uh, referral code from Anwar Beck over at uh, the Tesla Geeks. And uh, we are pretty confident uh, at least one of us is going to be able to go to this Tesla Semi event. <laughs> so it hasn't been 100% confirmed, but we're quite confident we're going to be able to go. So We might be in I, the calendar month. We might be, yes, it, it plans, it looks like it might be this October. Um, so please support, uh, support them and in effect supporting us and do it quickly because by the end of this month, the thousand dollar discounts going away. So you get free supercharging and a thousand dollars now, uh, but at the, apparently at the end of the month, you will not get the thousand dollars. So act now, on the fence, operators act now. are standing by. I'm sure they would love to take, uh take that order. Um, and then if you want to get in touch with us personally, how can they do that, Mike? You can reach us on Reddit, uh, where we post all of our episodes and take comments at r slash the Tesla show. You can uh, compose a tweet at 140 or now 280 characters uh, to us on twitter.com at uh, the Tesla show. And uh, we also have a website on the World Wide Web at theteslashow.com, uh, where we have episodes, a podcast player, and uh, also another set of comments. Um, so yeah reach out. All right. Talk to you later, Mike. All right. Bye.